The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 40. Wow, 40, man. We're going to get at 100 pretty quickly. You have reached the best place for cigars and Chicago sports. Let me set the scene for you. As usual, we are at the Cigars and Sports Chicago studios. And where is that? That's at The Place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. The Place is a cigar lounge. It's a great place to hang out. It's a great place to smoke a cigar, watch a game, have an argument about politics or, you know, potentially other inappropriate subjects that maybe you wouldn't discuss with people at work. Uh, Trust me, you'll have a great time. Come by. Great selection. The Place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. And by the way, if you're listening to this in some other state, whether you be in California or New Jersey or New York or whatever the case may be, we would suggest scheduling a trip just so you can come to the place at 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. You can follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports, and you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever else you may get your podcasts. And by the way, we will soon be getting on the new app called Threads, the Twitter replacement, but I have not gotten around to that yet. I am sitting here at the place smoking a LaFleur Dominicana El Jaco Perfecto number two. And you know what? If you listen to the beginning of this podcast, you realize that I forgot something, which I always give the name of the episode. And this episode is called at least the White Sox are not as bad as Northwestern Athletics. So at this point, I welcome in my uh, partner, colleague, friend, and co-host, Phil Sullivan. Phil, how are you? What are you smoking? What's Everything's going? all good. Just ended a nice, uh, uh, long little vacation up in the uh, north country, a little bit north of Chicago. Uh, great holiday weekend. Uh, nobody blew any fingers off, so it was uh, it was good. Family, friends, neighbors cousins it was a great week uh, out of town so i'm back in action enjoying a little romeo julietta bully cigar here and uh, getting ready for what should be a rather exciting home run yep. derby uh, that uh, we're going to watch i think a little later this evening we got some uh, interesting facts going on there uh, we've got first time ever we got three cubans participating in the Home Run Derby, uh, which is kind of exciting. For Rosarena, being... G- Garcia, and our favorite, Luis Robert, the guy that you used to hate until he became good, and now we all like him. All right, so I'll throw a little trivia at you, Steve. Who's the only Cuban to win the Home Run Derby, which he did back-to-back twice? Oh, Watch no. Off guard there. Oh. I'll be oh. out there. Hold on. How about I give you the years? 13 and 14, back-to-back. Oh, my God. Goodness sakes. You know what? I, I don't right, know. So I'm going to give it to you. Jonas Cepetis. Oh, so Jonas Cepetis. Yeah. And actually, Cepetis' yeah, yeah. brother. And it's funny because yeah. I barely, I, I am not a huge 
fan of the home run derby. I mean, I know that Pete Alonso has won the last couple of years, et cetera, but um, Suspettis, very interesting guy, got a bunch of weird injuries after he signed with the Mets, never came back. His younger brother, who at one point was a big White Sox prospect, is still kicking around in the organization, but has never gotten to the major leagues. That is uh, interesting. Yeah, yes. interesting. That, it, you know, you brought up Pete Alonso. That guy, now he won it twice, uh, I think 19 and 21, but in three home run derbies, that guy's hit 174 home runs. Yeah. 174. And, and I guess we're going to talk about the home run derby now. It is interesting because the way the home run derby works as well is there's a strategy, meaning that you have to win each round, but you've also at some point have to save yourself for the final round. Because if you remember... The most famous home run derby, and I do not recall the year. I apologize. I'm not prepared for this. Josh Hamilton, who at the time is with the Texas Rangers, and he was an unbelievable player and is most famous for um, being possibly the most drugged out, drunken player in the history of modern baseball. And ultimately that did him in. If you recall, he had a round in the home run derby and it was at Yankee stadium where he went out of his mind, but he was completely out of gas in the finals. So it will, it is interesting to see how guys do, um, you know, in pacing themselves. And I know that Luis Robert has actually been, um, has actually been practicing for this thing, which I guess that's a that's a thing. And I also think it's a pretty cool story. You mentioned with the three Cubans, only eight guys and three Cubans, and that Garcia and Arozarena um, both actually recruited Luis Robert in because he did not want to do it, and they just said, "Hey, man, you got it. You got to do it." And he decided to do it. So I am very excited. He is the number one seed, and the reason for that is he is the contestant who has the most home runs right now. It's going to be interesting. And yes, I have made a $50 bet on him to win um, at uh, plus 400. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that works out. And hopefully it will work out well. So that is going to be fun. Yeah. I, you know, and you made a comment earlier today, Steve, which I find hard to believe. Here's the guy, the number one seed, the home run derby, leading the league in homers with Trout and Judge both out of the game. How this guy's not a starting outfielder is hard to fathom. That uh, that this guy's not a starting player on that All Star team, uh, I think it's a uh, bit of an injustice to him. That's well, a shame. ironically, the two guys who are starting in place of Trout and Judge are actually a Rosarena and Garcia. Like that's kind of the amazing thing. And by the way, both of those guys are legitimate All Stars, having terrific years. But good God, like I mean, Luis Robert is clearly the best center fielder in baseball, certainly this year. So, you know, with Trout out, how do you not, I mean, maybe, okay, fine. I was, I was, when Judge was out, I was thinking to myself, so, you know, maybe he won't play because you're going to put, because Judge would probably be in right. So maybe you put in a corner guy or whatever. With Trout out, how can you justify not starting Robert? I would hope that he will get in early in the game enough where he at least gets two at bats. Um, which that should be good. But I'll tell you, man, the home run derby, though, is really important because everyone, certainly baseball fans, know who Julio Rodriguez is. And he's, you know, he's in there tonight, too, from the from the Mariners. And the reason that you know who he is is because of how he performed in the home run derby last year. And Luis Robert will make a national statement for himself if he can perform well or if he can win this thing tonight. So, I am very, very fired up, and he better at least win a round. But I'll tell you, 
a lot of times when guys go in there and they just sort of fall apart, like it's like, why is this guy even in the thing? I just don't see that happening to Robert. I think he's gonna, I think he will represent himself well. But the funny thing is, if he doesn't, we will look like a fool by the time this podcast is up. Because what we are saying now, by the time we uh, put this podcast up, the results of the home run derby. Yeah, will be well, done. you know, the White Sox have, you know, only been represented a few times and the two times they were represented in the past, they actually did do well, actually won it once. So, you know, with Frank Thomas winning it and uh, I believe Todd Frazier made it to the finals, uh, I think in 2015 or 16. So they're the only two White Sox to ever participate in the home run derby. Yeah, that's really interesting. And if, you know, that's an interesting trivia question too, because if you remember, Todd Frazier had that one really good year with the White Sox hit 40 bombs. And if I were to ask you to come up with a list of guys who hit 40 home runs for the White Sox, you probably would be stumped before you thought of, uh, you know, of Todd Frazier. So, yeah, I think he lost to Stanton in that year in the finals in that, in that, uh, in that derby. So, Phil, let's get to the elephant in the room in the Chicago area right now. And that is clearly the chaos that is currently Northwestern athletics. And I will tell you, I view the whole thing as being sad and it's amazing as you think about it. So on Friday, we see the news breaks on the hazing incident at Northwestern. I don't think we need to go over the details, but they were doing some crazy hazing stuff. And evidently, you know, freshmen were like having some kind of crazy naked stuff occur to them where they had to like snap the ball to each other naked and get grinded and all sorts of weird stuff that was going on. And by the way, one of the things we'll talk about Fitzgerald, um, but you know, evidently he has a policy that the locker room is the player's domain. If you read all of this stuff that's been in the, uh, the Northwestern uh, paper, uh, the daily Northwestern, it, it's really amazing. So you had that going on. And then all of a sudden we find out that there's all of these allegations of racism in the football program. And evidently Fitz was like telling guys with longer hair to cut their hair because that was not the Northwestern way. And he didn't like guys wearing do rags and all, you know, all sorts of other stuff there as well, which again, these are all separate incidents. And then we also find out compliments of a, an amazing uh, investigative report from uh, Danny Parkins uh, from 670 The Score. We find out about the Northwestern baseball head coach, Jim Foster, and his toxic culture. And by the way, we yes, everyone, I guess, is entitled to some level of due process. I understand that. But these are all confirmed and corroborated allegations. So this isn't just some rumor thing. And, you know, this has been corroborated with at least nine sources, this baseball issue where, you know, this guy was hiding injuries. He was doing, he was doing all sorts of sexual harassment things with, you know, a couple of women who, uh, you know, who work for the, for the program. He was abusive to guys. I mean, obviously just a terrible guy. And if you read the whole story, he worked, he previously was at the West Point baseball program. And when he left, the players actually had a party 
and this is another thing that has been confirmed and corroborated, that celebrating that he was gone because everyone hated him so much. And this guy's been investigated, you know, by HR and by the university multiple times before, and evidently just has continued to to skate free. And then the other thing about this guy is there are 15 guys from the Northwestern baseball program who are currently in the transfer portal. What do you need to know more than that? Because Northwestern has a terrible baseball program. So where do these guys think they're going? Like, why would you not want to be at Northwestern and get an education there? These guys have decided they want to go to worse schools so, you know, they can just get away from this guy and still play baseball. So lots of bad stuff going on at Northwestern. Phil, give me your analysis. Well, yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, uh, the, the baseball stuff came out on the heels of the football information. And, you know, this baseball guy seems like a true Neanderthal idiot in this day and age, especially. I mean, just it sounds like a horrible person. Whereas Pat Fitz... Uh, has been portrayed and appears to be just the opposite. You know, just a, a family man who's just all Northwestern, bleeds purple, players type of coach, just the way he's been portrayed. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see more of these facts as they come out regarding the football program. At least I'm more interested to see, you know, did he just stick his head in the sand and and not pay attention, was he culpable, was he part of it? But they certainly uh, has have portrayed this guy and he's portrayed himself to be kind of just the opposite of it. So it is rather shocking that this has come out of his program, especially, you know, I don't think you can at any point hide from the fact and say, I didn't know what was going on. Then you're just as much to blame, in my opinion. You're paid a lot of money to run your program and to pay attention to your program. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of it. I mean, let me read you one paragraph in this Danny Parkins piece that I am looking at right now. Foster referred to an Asian player at a camp as the Chinese kid, despite the fact that he knew that he wasn't Chinese. He once asked a fellow coach in a recruiting meeting if the coach would um, still advocate for recruiting a minority player if he was white. When the coach replied yes, Foster said he wouldn't, sources said. Foster also blew off a mandatory diversity training program and was dismissive, you know, of the worthiness of doing it. A black player on the team said he didn't feel comfortable enough to wear a chain or a, you know, or a do-rag under his hat, knowing how he was. Foster also made a comment about not needing to dress nicely when you go to a Mexican restaurant. I mean, he did, and then he did some sort of thing where there was a woman who worked with the program and he he forbid her from re, from replenishing the balls in the batting machine because he said he didn't want the the kids to be distracted by her ass while she was out there and here's the deal man like whatever goes on you know i guess at the place is one thing but the bottom line is that when you're sending your children and i mean children to be taken care of by a coach at a university particularly one like northwestern and that portrays a culture whether it be you know football baseball academic whatever and you hear about this stuff going on it's just not cool at all man it is just it is not well, I, cool you know we talked about it earlier that you know no matter what ends up if we want to go back to the football program I, this pat fitz is done i mean you know, moving forward like you just said you you you've portrayed this image you're going to protect yeah. these kids 
And, you know, how in the world does he go sit in somebody's living room moving forward and tell them while he's trying to recruit their son, you know, how, you know, they're going to be well taken care of at Northwestern and watched after and, and, and everything is all about family and it's going to be good and you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, you know, how's he going to sit in somebody's living room and, and convince a set of parents, you know, to send their kids there? I don't know how he's going to do and, it. And, it, you know, to me, I agree with you on that, but it's, and, and another point I think you made that was a really good one is this whole idea of the culture that he has portrayed, this whole squeaky clean, everything is the best. He is the most squeaky clean guy in the world. And by the way, I don't know what he knows or what he didn't know, but the reality is he, if this happened in his program, as he refers to it all the time, then he is responsible for it and he needs to own it. But, you know, the, I'll give you an example. I am a, I've always been a big fan of John Calipari. Cal Perry is one of these guys where, you know, at least he's honest. You know, when the, when the one and done thing started happening in college basketball, he would go and recruit guys and tell them, by the way, my objective is to get your is to get your kid into the NBA. He, I want the best kids here, and yeah, we're gonna do our best to keep them on the straight and narrow. But we're gonna, you know, they're gonna be one and done. They're not gonna get an education here, whether it be at Kentucky or Memphis or whatever. They're going to be one one and done. And my goal is to get your kid to the NBA. So he was, and then meanwhile, you have coach K over there at Duke, who's ripping him um, saying that, you know, they, they're student athletes and they should be there and they should graduate or whatever. Well, you don't hear about graduation rates anymore because that's not what they're there for. And now it's fine to take money and all this other stuff. And Cal Perry was, you know, he was an early adopter on that. He just said, they're not here to get a college education. They're here to have an experience to be get better at basketball, to get national exposure, and for me to get them in the NBA. And you know what? If you're going to portray the fact that you have this squeaky clean culture, then you better have a squeaky clean culture because that's one of the reasons why a lot of those kids, obviously, you know, went to Northwestern. You know, and certainly the fact that they're going to get a hell of an education there. So it just, you know, it's it's very bad. And we'll see what happens. But it's really bad. And if you go to the Daily Northwestern and read the sequence of articles that's been coming out for the last three days, and you go back and read them all, where there's more and more, you know, confirmed, corroborated, you know, appropriately sourced information, you will find that there is a whole bunch of stuff going on out there. And here's the other thing, too, which is... The president of, first of all, the athletic director, he, who is relatively new, he's getting fired. I mean, he hired this foster guy. He knew this was going on and he didn't, you know, he didn't fire him. But the president who saw the report that was done by the law firm and then gave um, Fitz a two-week suspension and then later came back and said that he was more focused on what Fitz didn't or what he didn't know opposed to what he should have known and then said they're reevaluating you know the punishment that's another thing too like let's take a look at that guy's judgment and what's going to happen to him this is this is not good man like this is not good well if i'm not mistaken the school's also in the middle of trying to build a multi 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 million dollar new stadium for the football team so it's uh it's interesting times up in Evanston, there's no doubt about it. And like you said, this isn't going to end anytime soon. We'll see where this goes.
It's not going to end anytime soon, but I think it is going to end for some people this week. I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't heard anything yet, but you know, the reality is they have so many things to deal with. My guess is that they want to, want to probably go to the mattresses. You know what I mean? They, anyone that they're going to fire, they probably want to do it all in one memo and just get it all out. I mean, I think the last thing you want to do is, you know, get rid of fit and, and who knows what's going to happen, but I don't think you want to get rid of Fitz one day and then foster the next one. And then the athletic director, the next, you know what I mean? Like I'm sure that the board is working on this and it's going to get it done. But anyway, so that's Northwestern. You got anything else on Northwestern? Well, no, I think uh, I think we covered it. I think we'll end up talking about it again. No, there's no, no, there's no doubt about it. But I think for now, this is all relatively new news. They released it on Friday, which was interesting. They probably thought it would die over the weekend, and they can move on. And it certainly has not died out. So uh, we'll see where this thing leads in the next few weeks uh, for for Northwestern. The Chicago White Sox, they finished the first half at 38 and 54. 16 games under 500, losing seven of their last 10. I think that we now know that uh, that situation is done. They are not coming back. They are eight games out unless they somehow, you know, rip 17 out of 19 coming out of the all-star break. Um, it's, it's selling time, man. So I think the question is, one, are they going to do anything with the general manager? And I would say no, because that's just how you know, Reinsdorf organizations work. So it's going to be Rick Hahn, the guy that created the disaster, fixing the disaster. And think about the absurdity of that. Why does the guy who created the disaster get to fix it? I don't know. But I think the question becomes, do you rip it all the way down or do you rip it part of the way down? So ripping it part of the way down would mean that you certainly get rid of all the expiring contracts. The expiring contracts would be Giolito, Lynn, Kelly, as long as he's healthy. Kendall Graveman has another option year, but I think you get rid of him because he's going to be extremely valuable and he's a bullpen guy. Then you've got, you know, you got Middleton, who, by the way, is on a one-year deal and he's been really good. And if a team wants him, I don't know why you wouldn't move him. You got Gregory Santos, who's been terrific. And, you know, I'm sure that somebody would probably take him. Um, And by the way, Lance Lynn has pitched a lot better his last five outings and probably has a decent amount of value. And, you know, then you got Grandal. There's teams out there that could use another catcher that maybe could hit a little bit. I bet you there might be something for him. And then, you know, although T.A. has got a, and we obviously have talked about him at nauseum, so we don't need to focus on it, but he's got an option year next year. I'm not even sure he's worth the $14 million and picking up the option next year if he finishes the year this bad. And if you can sell the sort of change of scenery, I think you move him. But the guys that you don't trade is that you're not – certainly teams are going to want Cease despite the fact that he hasn't had a good year. Teams are going to want Kopech. Teams are going to want certainly Luis Robert – Teams are going to want Aloy, and I think Aloy is going to be very tempting not to trade him because when that guy is healthy, he always hits. He's not healthy very often, and he's been quite healthy over the last month, so you might might be smart to get rid of him. But the question is, you know, do you go for a complete and total teardown or a partial teardown? Because if you go for a total teardown, 
then you're talking about like five years till there's even any hope, you know, based on the amount of prospects that you get, it's still going to take years to kind of bring them up, get them developed, hope that they're decent. Frankly, I would rather go for the partial mediocre teardown. You get rid of all the guys that I mentioned in the first group, the expiring contract groups, the expiring contract group, maybe plus TA. And, you know, you get a bunch of prospects out of that. You cut about 50 million out of the payroll for next year. And then you go out and maybe sign some guys, you know, in true White Sox fashion. You go, you know, sign a guy for a two-year deal for 15 million here and then another guy for five million, you know, kind of the bargain basement guys and sort of patch it together with the additional prospects. But, you know, what's your take on what the move going forward should be? Boy, that's, uh, I could go into this ad nauseum, but I'll go into something you discussed and, and tell you how I slightly disagree uh, with something you said. Go ahead and get, I mean, the team's abysmal and needs to get busted up. Um, your statement is so clear about you got the guy that created the disaster trying to fix a disaster. I mean, first and foremost, he's the first guy that's got to go, but unfortunately, with the history of Reinsdorf, he ain't going nowhere. So... Reinsdorf just does not fire front-end people like that. It's, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so now you're left with, like you said, a partial or total breakdown. Uh, you know, my partial breakdown would absolutely include uh, getting rid of Jimenez. I, you know, I'm just tired of his injuries. I'm tired of him not playing half the time. That's fair. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, don't agree with it. So where I, where I disagree with you, I, I would, just for the comic relief of seeing how Han pulls it off, leaving Cease and Kopech and, let's say, Luis Robert on the team to surround him with the whatever Han puts together, you know, is still a five-year prayer at best to bring that team into decency with those three guys. I'd have no problem just getting rid of all of them. Keeping Robert on that team is a crying shame. It'd be like driving around the neighborhood with a 72 Pinto and gluing a Mercedes star on the hood. Uh, it's still a 72 Pinto. And I think it's a waste for Robert. To, I, I just say to see his career get wasted here. And keeping him on the team with Cease and Kopech and one other, maybe another player. You know, do you keep Ben Attendee? Do you keep, you know, Vaughn? Do you keep... Shoes? Yeah, but nobody, but nobody wants that, that team. That, nobody's going to give you nothing right. for him. But the team's going nowhere. Nowhere. Keep You know, keeping Cease, Kopech, and Robert on the team. Uh, the team's 16 games under five hundred now with those guys. There'll be even more with some of the players they're going to get rid of once you get rid of half the pitching staff. So I'm in the camp of a full breakdown, tear it down, start over. And uh, like I said, I do I have hope that Han could put together and, and, and do this? Uh, absolutely. I got zero hope in it. I got zero hope the White Sox are even going to snip the playoffs in the next three to five years. I think we're in a situation like they were with the Blackhawks uh, until this ownership leaves. And I don't think he's leaving unless he's carried out in a box, um, which I don't wish on anybody in the near future. But for Sox fans, I don't think this team's going anywhere as long as the upper management that is there is still there. I think they're just going to just keep keep making the same bad choices. I agree, although I'm definitely a partial teardown guy. And I would guess that if there's one guy who will get traded – that I probably would prefer to see them keep that would make me sad is, yeah, I get it. Like Aloy with all of his injuries and everything else, he's a really hard guy not to like. He is just a very 
he just seems like a really good dude. And obviously he's a very dangerous hitter. And, you know, I guess it depends on what you get for him. And by the way, you get a lot for him because he's under control for three years at a reasonable rate. I think you get quite a bit from him, particularly from a team like the Marlins, who's got a really good farm system. But I, I mean, I know that it's probably a better idea. But the problem is, is that even if you do a rebuild, it, you know, I could deal with the last rebuild. Like I understood this is what we need to do. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to get some good prospects. We're going to, make, but I have no hope after that rebuild related to this rebuild. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to see oh, yeah. the guys who destroyed it, rebuild it again, which is why I just say, if those guys are going to be around, if they're going to be the guys doing it, I would rather go for the mediocre plan because if, say, they get rid of Han at the end of the year, which wouldn't shock me. It would shock me if they got rid of him now. But it wouldn't shock me if they got rid of him in the offseason. It would surprise me. Frankly, I'd rather have the new general manager decide if he should do something with Robert, you know, Aloy, and Cease, and, and Kopech, you know? I mean, I'd rather have somebody else make that decision. But this thing is depressing. And I'll tell you one thing is that after the All-Star break, I'll be surprised if in August and September, I'll be surprised if they win five games. I really will. I mean, they're going to be the worst team ever put on a field. Yeah, they're going to be demoralized, and they're going to be really, really hard to watch. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, back to what I said earlier, you know, with a partial breakdown, I'd have a hard time watching a player of Robert's stature playing for a shit team. I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, Jimenez is a great guy. Fun-loving, looks like he's always having fun out there. Great, probably a great teammate. And, you know, like you said, he's a great hitter. He's a great hitter sometimes. You know, Kopech is a great pitcher sometimes. So, you know, Robert is a great player all the time. And well, he is I'd for half a season. That, he is for half a season right, this year. Right. I mean, I just would hate to see, you know, that guy's talent wasted on this dog shit team, and they are a bad team, and they're a bad run team, and their minor leagues bad, their drafting is bad, uh, how they bring players up is bad. It's just all the scars and all that stuff is showing its ugly head now this year. Um, I think the culture in the locker room's got to be at rock bottom. Uh, T.A., I don't know, I mean, he's a total head case, total head case now. I mean, he's, you know, he's statistically the worst player in baseball. I mean, how does that happen in a couple of years. I mean, it's just, it's a shame for TA. I really do. I feel sorry for the guy in a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot wrong with the White Sox. There's no, well, doubt there clearly it. is a, there's clearly some sort of culture problem there because if you look at the talent and I understand that you could argue, well, maybe there isn't the talent that we think there is, but if you look at the talent in the American league central, can we at least argue that they should be at least a 500 team like they were last year? I mean, we, oh, there's no doubt about. I mean, they have a better there's, roster there's no than, be than last year. Right. So, right. I, I mean, I don't know. And we didn't even mention Clevenger, you know, and Liam Hendricks. And you know, if Hendricks could show that he is healthy at some point during the month of July, you know, you definitely get something for him. He's got another year next year, and Clevenger has an option for next year. So if he pitched well, I'm sure that somebody'd be willing to take his wife beating ass they've got a lot of guys to move but the thing about it is these rental guys may you know you probably could get a team's 
one of their top five prospects if you created a market right at the deadline for Giolito. Like, you probably get a couple guys, and you probably get one of their top five prospects. But other than that, I'm not even sure for rentals, you know, with these guys with expiring contracts, that you're really even going to get that much anyway. It's definitely not a good situation at all. And frankly, I'm looking forward to tonight where we don't have to focus on the White Sox. We can just watch a guy that we are happy that we have, at least now, and hopefully see him do well. But of course, you know that means that maybe he won't do well, but I hope he does. Or as you said earlier, watch him like throw out a shoulder or something and get hurt and be out for a year as a result of the home run derby. So, But all I know is yeah. this. I absolutely want him in the home run derby. I don't care. I know that some guys, you know, have gone into slumps and, you know, had trouble hitting home runs after home run. I don't care. I want to see this guy in the home run derby. I don't care if he doesn't hit another home run for the rest of the year. I want to see him do well tonight because that's all we have. And for those of you who don't live in this town, who listen to this podcast, we have got the worst sports town on the face of the earth. The things that we have hope for are things that you and your sports towns are things that you wouldn't even notice. You have things like playoffs, championships. We have nothing here. We have nothing. We are coming off a football team that was the worst team in the league and had the number one pick in the draft. We are coming off a hockey team that uh, you know that was that had the number one pick in the draft. We are you know we have a basketball team that couldn't make the playoffs. We have two under 500 baseball teams. This is a bad sports town. This might cause me to start following the Chicago Fire. Um, no, probably not. I, I don't like soccer. Or the sky. No, I don't think so either. That was an interesting to- story too. How the coach just abandoned them um, for it, like right in the middle of the season. He's like, "Hey, I got an assistant coaching job, and for the Toronto Raptors, I'm out of here. Talk to you later." I, I thought that was a little weird, but so Steve, before we wrap up yeah. the, today's program, um, tell me a little bit about the uh, uh, historic sporting event you witnessed last weekend in Chicago. That uh, was the first time ever. Um, Give me your opinion of what you thought of it, and uh, I'll be glad to give you mine. Yeah, so I know we have a different opinion on this, and Phil is referring to the Chicago street race, um, the NASCAR race that was held in Chicago last weekend, and I want to give you the bottom line on that first. I thought it was fantastic, and for those of you who uh, know anything about my uh, sports interests, you know that I am a um, very big NASCAR fan, but I was not particularly looking forward to going to this event, even though I bought tickets as soon as they went on sale, because I just figured, you know, a street race, you're not really, even if it's a good race, you know, you can only really see what's in front of you. I wasn't looking forward to it. Then, you know, we went to the Xfinity race on Saturday. And for those of you that do not follow NASCAR, Xfinity, the Xfinity series is like the number two series. So it would be sort of the AAA of NASCAR. And I had these seats, this kind of GA plus seating, which by the way, you don't get seats. It was a standing thing. And I had a terrible experience. First of all, half of the race got rained out, which wasn't good. But, you know, we're standing there watching the cars go by on 
Columbus and it was just it was really bad and then and then Sunday came and it was pouring rain all day and we were sitting there like are they even going to do this thing should we go I actually went with my daughter and her college friends and you know we were we were thinking should we go should we not go and we were like all right fine we're just going we got on the train we went over there you know I was looking at the weather it was supposed to stop raining around four o'clock so we and and literally we were walking to the track from Union Station, not even knowing if the race was going to go off. But you know what? All of a sudden, sun started coming out, and the road was still wet, and we had really, really good club seats. We were elevated right over turn one and turn six for the cup race on Sunday. And I want to tell you what I thought. It was awesome. First of all, in the beginning of the race, when... The track was really slick. It was awesome because cars were just, at, you know, sliding into sort of turn one and, you know, and turn six. And we had a really good view of both, but particularly we were right over turn one. And then as the, as the track dried over time, the cars were going a lot faster. And I thought it was unbelievable that New Zealand guy, SVG, um, ended up winning the race. He's a bit of a ringer, but it was interesting. Guy is the first time that a guy ever in his first race race in the series ever won a race i mean and the guy is unbelievably talented at what he does and for those of you who don't know he's a uh, he was a down under supercar racer with three championships and 80 wins so he's basically the greatest street racer in the world um and uh you know track house racing brought him in for this one race and he ended up winning but i loved it man it was absolutely awesome had a great time i had a you know i had a great spot i thought it was extremely entertaining i loved it you know and by the way there was a there was a jumbotron right in front of us so we could see the race on all the other parts of the track you know right in front of us and then they would come right and you know kind of right by us um and we were in a perfectly elevated position so it was absolutely great and i know that you felt differently so phil what did you think well you know certainly like any sporting event being there live is always better so i'm glad you had a great experience uh, me being a at best, casual NASCAR fan. Um, I'm more of a, if I'm going to watch racing, I'm more of a Formula One guy. I think my kids have gotten me more attuned to that than than NASCAR, but I certainly have watched a number of NASCAR races. I've watched them with you at the place. Um, you know, as a fan watching on TV, I didn't need to see the shots of Chicago. I'm sure to people around the country, that was really interesting. I know Chicago, I live in Chicago, so that, you know, wasn't a big deal. I was there to watch the race. And it almost seemed like the race was stopped because of the weather, because of the wet track. You know, about every six minutes, they had to slow the race down. And even when the race was fast, on TV, it didn't look. It was fast for a couple seconds during one stretch. And then, you know, they'd get into a pileup. They had one pileup at a turn. You know, if I want to see 10 cars getting in an accident going 10 miles an hour, I can go maybe go to the local high school when school gets out and watch the kids all trying to get out of the one exit of the parking lot. Um, it, it seemed a little boring to me um, because of the stoppages, constant stoppages, the, the little wrecks, they slid into the tires and stuff. It all looked like it was almost slow motion at best. Um, not to say I, I, I get my thrills watching guys roll their cars over at 140 miles an hour, but it certainly is a big reason why a lot of people watch that sport. Um, and you just were not going to see that. I know previous you said you're going to see cars flying in the fences and you're going to see all kinds of wrecks. Um, it just, 
it was to me as a fan watching on TV. I just didn't see it. It didn't excite me. But uh, like you said, being there live is a different perspective. Yeah, it was it was good. I really liked it. And it'll be interesting to see the postmortem on the finances, et cetera. You know, it was a three-year deal that I think they can get out of. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next time. And also the reviews from the NASCAR fans. I mean, I listened to the post-race show probably for two hours after the race, and people loved it. I mean, it was they, people thought it was a really good TV experience. I went and watched most of it. I recorded it, and I went back and watched most of it on TV as well. So um, I thought it was really good, and I thought it made Chicago look really good. And if you consider sort of the demographic that follows NASCAR, they are fed, I think, some pretty bad information about Chicago. I don't want to go into this in too much detail. And I thought that they maybe were a bit surprised that it was so uh, it was so great. Although I did hear one guy saying, you can hardly hear the gunfire over the engines. Um, but anyway, uh, it was uh, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Phil, that's episode 40. It's time to watch the Home Run Derby. Cool. All right. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you guys soon. Sugar Magnolia, blossoms blooming. That's all empty and I don't care. So my baby down by the river. We should never come up soon for there. Sweet blossom, come on under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. Rushes down by the riverside.